Hi, and welcome to the Founder's Journey podcast, episode number four, I think now. We are, uh, we're blazing through, uh, through, the early, uh, through the early stages here. I'm, uh, I'm your host, uh, Greg Moran, uh, with my co-host, Peter Dean. The podcast is all about being able to provide actionable insight and personal experiences from founders who are out there making it happen. And, um, and we have a guest today who is probably the best, ex- well, definitely the best example of the four episodes that we've had yet. So Chuck, you are definitely at the, uh, at the top of the list in terms of experience in this and uh, in, in the, uh, on the founder's journey here for our, uh, for our podcast. So I'm going to let Peter introduce our, uh, our guest today, uh, Chuck Stormer. First of all, I want to tell you guys that we had four hundred. We increased four hundred percent in our followers or listeners. We have four more people, right? <laughs> uh, we got a to, you know, to our benefit, just so people understand. We actually hadn't even started to promote the show yet. So uh, no, but we have like I think my mom is still listening, so I think we're good. And then no. maybe my wife hasn't listened, but Chuck knows her, so. And she likes it better than me, so it should be like, oh, <laughs> Chuck, I'm going to listen. So anyhow, I've known Chuck for a long time. Uh, he's a really good friend. He's actually been a really good mentor for me. Uh, so I'm so excited to have him on. And I, I went through and I tried to list everything I knew about him. And I, it, it's not even it's not even all on one paper. But I'm just going to go through and, and, and touch on some of these to see so you kind of learn about why I was so excited to have him on. Um, so uh, coherent, right? You had two coherence, mm-hmm. both exits. I like that was your first company, right? Coherent. Yep. And then, by the uh, way, it is great to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. John. So <laughs> coherent research, sold that, started coherent networks, had an exit there. Stellius, right? That was next. What was the next one? Um, after Stellius, um, the, the acquiring company was a public company called Techelec and I worked for them for uh, three years. And then, um, and then after that, I left, um, at a time of my own choosing and hung out a consulting shingle for about six months and then uh, joined packet exchange. Right. And then, uh, you had a 10. So wait, let's go back. So Stellius, is that the one that got acquired after you left? Is that right? Is that, Tech-Elec, uh, I left Techelec after three years, and after I left, uh, it was taken private by a private equity firm. Right, and then subsequently acquired by Oracle. Amazing, and then uh, Package Exchange attend. Right, it was after that. Yep, my right. Yeah, but, although, what I took no, out, we'll call it we'll call it Rush Terra was after Pack. Oh right, expanded. Rush Terra. Okay, Rush Terra. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Um, but what I what I skipped was faculty at Lemoyne, probably not in that order, right? And faculty at uh, Syracuse University, um, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch like Seed Capital in New York. Yep. So, and I believe Seed Capital is what invested in Greg's. One of Greg's was that C Capital. Mm-hmm, that's okay. right. That's right. right. Greg, uh, yeah. I, so I met, I met Greg. So uh, I, met, Greg. I met Greg when we invested in uh, in uh, Greg's company. So that was nice... uh, that was when we were both uh, thirteen years younger. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a journey. So, that's right. And then that's right. Layered in there 
is this like really small, simple little project you had called Startfast. Yeah, talk about right. that, and uh, and give us. Yeah, Startfast, Startfast is the is the uh, last say, is the last joking. decade of, and the last decade and the next decade of my life. Yeah, Startfast. Yeah, give us, give us the. Give us it started the, out. The and I, I I was joking because I went out and mentored at Starfast as its first like iteration, and it was like amazing these people and this and i don't think you slept during the summer when you did that i i mean it's amazing sleep but is why don't you talk about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah give us a history of start fast chuck sure you know start fast is the uh, start fast ventures is the name or name of the uh, venture fund that i'm a general partner in and um Startfast fund one was a classic startup accelerator uh, modeled after TechStars. We actually had Brad Feld as a mentor, and we took all the TechStars operating documents and basically just modified them. And my partners in that are uh, Nasser Ali and Martin Babinek. Now, three of us got together and said, how can we do a TechStars in upstate New York? Um, we answered that question as a process of learning what kind of company and what kind of founders should we back? You know, it's all pattern matching. We were looking for people that we thought would be successful with an idea that we thought could, could get traction. But I, I think of Startfest Fund One as the most intensive learning experience in my life. I mean, I, I've been, I've got a master's, I've, got, I've had a bachelor's degree, I dropped out of a PhD program. Those are nothing in comparison to what I learned over the eight years of investing in Startfast Fund One. And, you know, we helped 48 companies get from point A to point B. We usually ran into them before they were ready for seed funding and ended up, you know, with some of them taking them to private equity and to, yeah. you know, massive, massive success in, this, in the case of uh, Spincar, yep. which is now Impel. You know, yeah, that was that was our number one investment from Startfast Fund One. Yeah, I so, remember that. Chuck, you say you know that was the biggest sort of learning experience of your career. What what stands out? What were the what were kind of the the biggest lessons that you took away from that? You know, I came to this with uh, with a passion because uh, by two thousand and seven, when I when I made my first uh, investment as a venture capitalist as an LP in the seed capital fund, I had decided that I'd had so much success over my uh, entrepreneurial career and made so much money with those exits that I really had to redefine what, what, what I'm here on the planet to do. You know, what, why, why, why am I? And what I came up with was, well, I can help other entrepreneurs. So it's a very um, pay it forward, high-minded mission. Why help entrepreneurs? Well, because they, in my opinion, are the people that change the world in the most meaningful and operational way that when you put an entrepreneur on a problem, you're going to get a solution that is scalable and sustainable more often than when you put an academic on a problem or a government person on a problem or a big business on a problem. And, and also entrepreneurship, starting a business is so hard that nobody does it just to make money. If anybody's in it just to make money, they quit very quickly. So yeah, that's absolutely. the other reason that entrepreneurs can be counted on not just to create creative, sustainable, and scalable solutions, 
but they're also going to do it with totality. They're going to put 100%, 110%, or 150% of their being into that solution. Yeah. Because anybody that doesn't have a passion for it quits. It's just too hard. Yeah. And you know, like- how I defined myself in 2007. What I learned over the, over the intervening decade and a half is that's a great high-minded goal, but there's a lot of really pragmatic things yeah. that I had to learn. I had to become a savvy investor, uh, you know, a hundred lessons about why to say no, even if all the passion is there. Yeah. And and all and the team is great and the technology works. I still have to say no 99% of the time to investing in a deal. And and so just those really hardcore lessons that I've learned through experience, I think are, are, I don't think there's any other way to learn those lessons deeply than by, um, you know, making mistakes and and learning. There was something else I think really interesting about StartFast when you guys initially started it, which was, you know, and I, Martin Babinick has, one of my closest friends has been a mentor for me for a couple of decades and Nasser is a great friend and, uh, and, and, and knowing all three of you guys, it was another passion there that I think really stood out. And that was your, your really deep desire to drive investment capital in upstate New York, right? A secondary market. I mean, what, you know, and I know from Startfast Ventures, where you guys are, you know, focused today, that's still a, a that secondary market investing is still a real, um, yeah. a real passion. What, what, where does that come from? What is it that, what, what's the importance of that to you guys? Because look, it's easy to go out. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy, but anybody can go out and invest in Midtown Manhattan. Anybody can go out or you know anywhere in Manhattan or, or Silicon Valley. You're not doing that. Yeah, and we're certainly not limited to upstate New York. We live in upstate New York. And that's probably why we know what we know, but we invest all over the United States, but not in Silicon Valley so much and not in Manhattan so much. So I, this is, I'm glad you asked this because this is really core to what Startfast Ventures and Startfast Fund 2 is really about. And that is there are great entrepreneurs everywhere. And I know this because I consider myself a great entrepreneur. And I was, I was sitting in Syracuse, New York. And when I went out to raise capital, it was hard. My first round of capital, my first company, I was, gonna, I was going out to raise a million dollars. I held 158 person, in-person presentations <laughs> and I raised 150,000 of the million. So that, mm-hmm. that raise was a fail. Eventually, I raised money. Where did I get it from? Silicon Valley, New York City, right. Also yeah. from St. Paul Venture Capital in St. Paul, Minnesota. But you know that yeah. that was sort of the exception that proved the rule that great yeah. entrepreneurs are everywhere. But capital is not spread evenly across the United States. It's very lumpy. There's a huge yeah. chunk of capital in Silicon Valley and and the nearby surroundings, and a huge chunk of capital that goes into Manhattan. And then there's ten other metros. That have the rest, yeah. And everywhere else on the map, including upstate New York and places like Phoenix, Arizona, or Sarasota, Florida, and you know anywhere in the middle of the country, is white space. It gets it gets effectively zero venture capital. So well, look, why do I care? Yeah. Well, well, the original caring came from hey, I live in one of these white spaces, and 
I want these entrepreneurs to be supported. I don't want them to have to move their company to Manhattan or Silicon Valley. I didn't want to move. I got offered lots of venture capital if I would just move my company to Silicon Valley multiple times. And I said, no, I like it here. I like the lifestyle here. I like the, the culture and the community here. So why can't we create the American dream in place? Why do we have to move our companies to one of these hubs? So that was the original motivation. I, but now I know there's another good reason. The, if you invest in the white space, investor. And the reason is that if you're trying to hire a core engineering team in Silicon Valley, you not only pay top dollar and top options, but every 10 months you have to hire another team because your team hops around because they have so many, uh, you know, if going gets tough, your engineers get going. They go get their stock options from somebody else. It's incredibly expensive. It's not just the cost of real estate. It's not just the time wasted in commuting. It is the cost of, of growing a business. Whereas in any of the places we invest, when you hire somebody, they're with you for the duration. They're not going to hop to another job. And we've figured out it, it, it saves you at least 30% of capital that's not wasted when you invested in a company in these um, outside of these venture capital hubs. Do you Occasionally, see that we also get a better, a better price going in too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do, you, do you see that changing now, Chuck, with, you know, with what what was a radical idea, right? I, mean, I, I lived that journey that you're talking about in that. I remember Martin Babinick, when I was starting what was check, what at the time was check.com became outmatch Martin taking me and to meet you and Nasser and seed capital fund invested in me. And then we went out and met, uh, met the, uh, met uh, Dan and Pete out at, uh, out at Rand Capital in Buffalo and Zach at Cayuga Ventures and yep. and the, I mean you guys were my you guys were the were the core of that business to get that business off the ground. Mm-hmm. Is that and we were in Saratoga Springs, New York, right? The small town in upstate New York. Is is that changing now when you look at um, what the pandemic did to remote work and the competition for talent and things like that? Do you do you see that change at all shifting in that kind of white space investing or is it still still white space. So there's massive change afoot, but it doesn't seem to have affected spreading venture capital more evenly around the country. Mm. So our our thesis is still just as radical as it was before, but the, the real incredible changes in the workplace are making it even more attractive. Yeah. Um, There's some things that, um, it used to be you know, like we're meeting on Zoom here and we're recording this for a podcast. This used to be considered less than a face-to-face meeting. And yeah. so VCs would always say, well, you know, we've got to fly in or you've got to fly in and we've got to have a face-to-face meeting. Sales calls had to take place, um, strategy meetings, all, all kinds of things had to be face-to-face. And now this is just normal. Yeah. So that yeah. really that really makes it easier for me as a venture capitalist sitting in Syracuse, New York, to make an investment in some place that's kind of hard to get to. Yep. Yeah. You know, if the company's in Aspen, Colorado, I don't have to worry about taking three flights there because most of our meetings are going to be this way, and everybody everybody accepts that. Yep. The yeah. remote work also makes hiring that much easier. 
Now, it will change the economics of hiring. So now a talented engineer in anywhere in the country can probably get a Silicon Valley salary. They can. But they probably won't hop from company to company every 10 months. So there's, there's things that are changing, things that are staying the same. From our point of view and our prediction is this fund two that we're operating right now is going to be even more successful than fund one. And the the whole uh, pandemic phenomenon is, we see, and I predict, is a huge accelerant for the kinds of software as a service businesses that we invest in. So, I, I agree. Yeah. So you've been you you've been a multi-time founder founder. You're working with a ton of founders just in your current role. You're advising companies. You're what are the what are the common mistakes that you see? I mean, if you have to give a founder advice, what are the, what is that advice? What are the, what are the common sort of pitfalls you see them fall into? Well, I gotta, I gotta slip in two shameless plugs here um, <laughs> because, you know, I've mentored uh, literally hundreds of startup founders and uh, I, I kept getting the same questions and seeing the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I ended up writing it all down. And I and as a computer engineer, I wrote it in a very succinct. I wrote it and rewrote it and rewrote <laughs> it. So I've got I've written the code, you know, for <laughs> for all of the basics. You know, the multiple multiply repeated rookie mistakes are are all identified, written down, and the answers are there in a in a tiny little book called Start Fast. Which yep. is, you know, Chuck Storman, Start Fast. Amazon. That'll save you. It's the first 25 years of learning. Okay. That'll save you a ton. There was a there was a little pause there in our internet connection, Chuck. So the name of the book is Start, Start Fast. Fast. And you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon. It's cheap. All right. Got it. And, All right. uh, and that'll answer that'll that'll save you hours and hours of of uh, us having to listen to each other to figure out what your problem is. Yeah. Just you can read it in two hours and get twenty five years of wisdom. I got a signed copy, by the way. And, and <laughs> I'm, happy to, I'm happy to sign it. Um, <laughs> but once you get past the basics, there there are, you know, one thing I did in the beginning of the pandemic is I took a training in how to be a executive coach, which mm-hmm. people call a life coach, but yeah. Coaching is so different than mentoring because in coaching, I can only ask you questions. I can't tell you the answer. You have to come up with your own answers. And what I find is that each person, the the mistake they're going to make is going to be very particular to them. Mm -hmm. And it's almost impossible to give someone advice and say, please avoid this mistake because people are going (laughs) to, they're going to just go all in and make that mistake. (laughs) <laughs> so, i don't know anyone like that well, you know here's, here's, here's one of the here's one of the ones what you know about me <laughs> don't tell anyone <laughs> i'm just kidding well here's one of the ones that that is kind of a meta you know give you give you kind of an insight into yeah. what i see a lot um in this journey, as you're as you're starting your first company, maybe you've been an employee and you've become a subject matter expert. And now you're starting your own business. There's yeah. a tendency to think that you've got to be it all and you've got to do it all and you've got to know everything and you can't make any mistakes. 
And that, and, you know, let's face it, we have to have some ego to do this at all, but this is where the ego ends up tripping you up. There's, there's this lesson and Greg, you can attest to this and Peter, you can attest to this that you learn repeatedly throughout your career, which is there's a range in which you're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you need other people to, to balance you, to enhance you and to back you up. And you also need to know when to step back and let somebody else run. So mm-hmm. early in my career, I was really good from zero to 5 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what I didn't know to run a bigger company. Over yeah. my career, over the last 35 years, I've run larger and larger organizations. And now I know how to run a much larger organization, but I also know I don't like it as much. Yeah. So now I now I've learned how to scale, but I also know when I really don't have as much fun as I would like. So I'd probably be good to maybe start something else and hand this off to someone who really loves the part. You know, when between yeah. when you raise your uh, A round and you go public. Yeah. Yep. So it's there's a- there there's this knowing yourself what you're good at, what you enjoy. Um, forming a team that is going to support you and compliment you and back you up. And then you also need somebody who will tell you the truth when you're out over the front of your skis and you're about to, you're about to do a face plant. Yeah. yeah. And you've always, you've always been so passionate about everything you do. And that, that goes back to it. Like you, you said, you know, when your passion's kind of like, I love doing this to 5 million and that's so fun and not as fun. So I'm self-aware that, it's better if I, if I wasn't doing it now, that's yeah. uh, super important. It's a, yeah, above, it's that, a above that lesson. scale, I should, I should be on the board. I shouldn't be running it. Yeah. 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 It's a powerful lesson, Chuck. I mean, and, and it's one, you know, it's one that I have learned a few times, I think in the course of my career and most recently, you know, how to make that decision to kind of step aside where, you know, same as you, zero to 5 million is, you know, it's that stage, probably zero to 10. I'm, I'm really happy and we're doing things and and that creativity really flows. You know, here I was running a $50 million business and it was a job. It yeah, the and, problems are different. And, yep. you know, I now I've had that experience now I'm, I'm, I'm competent up to a hundred million. Right. I'm glad to, glad to be competent, but Boy, I, I don't enjoy the day to day, you know, because yeah. a lot of it is yeah. a lot of it is really important uh, people problems. Mm-hmm. They're really important, yeah. but it, it it's just not as much fun for me. Absolutely, yeah. yeah and then there's people that that's what they love, right? right? And that that's where they should be, you know. Right, totally makes sense. So you know, not not every company. Chuck, I mean, you're now on the venture side, so right. So you've made the shift from founder, operator to full-time investor. Not every company is should be out looking for venture capital, needs venture capital, or needs external investment. What what are the characteristics you look for? What do you what do you tell somebody who maybe you know they're not they're not a venture capital type investment? but yep. they're still a great company. 
right? That has all the passion. You kind of alluded to this before. What does he look for? What do you tell that? You know, what do you tell that company to go do? Sure. And I'm going to answer your question, but I just want to correct one thing. I am still an operator. I guess I'm kind of addicted to the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I, I was going to say. To the practice not, of entrepreneurship. more than and, one thing all the time. <laughs> assuming any of my life. any of my uh, team members at Acumen Detection are watching this, I am the CEO of Acumen Detection, and that's right. I apologize I'm for that. Absolutely, absolutely that. passionate about it, and absolutely committed to it. Now, I'll yep. answer your question. Which so, is such a cool. What's that's such a cool company. Um, it, it, like that was built just to solve problems for dairy farmers. Something that is so different than your first company and then yeah, I, I i have done uh, i've done seven of these and this is the first biotech and the first ag yeah. tech and uh i've i've been doing it three and a half years and it's just a, a amazing wonderful journey um and I, and i have exited it's uh it's owned by the dairy farmers of america so i'm in that stage yeah. where oh, awesome. po- post exit i'm i'm working for a 20 billion dollar dairy cooperative so it's a you know it's a very uh very mature um, as startups go. It's a very mature startup as post-exit at this point. Yep. Yeah. But to answer your question about who should seek venture funding, um, it's always important first to distinguish, you know, just a straight dividing line down the, dividing the world into two parts. There's companies, they're great companies on both sides, but dividing them down in two parts, there's scalable businesses and non-scalable business. So non-scalable business would be, any small business, anything that the Small Business Administration is involved in, or anything that is so-called mom and pop, even if it's a, um, even if it is a conglomerate like a franchise, it's still not venture fundable because it's not scalable. So, what's a scalable business? Scalable business is one that can, uh, through the application of funding, grow rapidly. And by rapidly, I mean more than 100% year-over-year growth mm-hmm. on a sustainable basis. And you know, some of the deals I look at are are 300% year-over-year growth. They're they're in. They will actually give me growth rates in the month over month. Right. And so you yeah. know, 10, 10 or 20% month over month translates into more than 100 to 300% year-over-year. I mean, it's a very, very yeah. large growth rate. So. That that's a really clean dividing line. No non-scalable business should see, seek venture capital. Now, within scalable businesses, then I think you can talk about the the levels. So there there are so-called rounds, which means yeah. uh, when you're looking to raise money, if you are pre-revenue, meaning you have an idea, maybe you have a product, but you don't have any paying customers yet, then uh, you know. Some will go seek venture funding at that stage, and it's and it's typically the Silicon Valley kind of of uh, scenario to write your business plan on the back of a napkin and get a party round together of a bunch of investors and raise a couple of million dollars. But those are stories, you know, just like kids yeah. on the basketball court in middle school. They're all <laughs> dreaming about being in the NBA. And they're all they all have their favorite NBA star that's saying, I'm Kobe Bryant, I'm you know, whatever they're gonna say. The the reality of it is that zero um, percent of those middle school kids are gonna be NBA stars. Not likely. 
So it's just like that with companies that are just an idea on the back of a napkin. Yep. Yeah, some do raise multiple millions of dollars in a party round. Best if you have already proven yourself, if the founder is a serial entrepreneur who's already had the same investors get a huge return, mm-hmm. then they're basically betting with house money. And, you know, yeah. if this is your first startup, better you prove that you've got that you're solving a problem for a population by actually having some revenue mm-hmm. before you raise yep. any money. So the first round is called the um, FFF round, the friends, family, and fools round. <laughs> uh, that's where you take out the second mortgage on your house. Yeah, that's called self-funding. Uh, that's where you go to your aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters and and ask them for this investment. Um, and the fools part air is, is really unkind because. <laughs> There are investors who will invest at that stage that are called angels because it's really more like venture philanthropy mm-hmm. yeah. than it is like an investment. And, and you can also get grants from the government at that stage. Yep, Lots of ways to find, fund a company. Where uh, somebody like me gets involved, we're early stage professional venture capitalists, so we get involved at the seed round. So for a seed investment, I want to see monthly recurring revenues that are real, documented, sustainable, and growing. So I want to see you at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 dollars a month of monthly recurring revenue, and I want to see a growth rate. Are you growing 10% month over month? Are you growing 50% quarter over quarter? If you can show me that and then you have passion, the right team, the right product, you're going after a a big market opportunity and you're solving a problem that's going to improve the world and you're located outside of Silicon Valley or or, uh, Manhattan, call me immediately. Mm -hmm. I I have money to wire to you after (laughs) the process of due diligence. (laughs) Asterix. (laughs) So, you know, are there... there mistakes that you see that where, where companies will come to you and, and you're looking for capital that are otherwise very fundable companies for you, right? Do you, but, do you think it's do you think it's a mistake to come to you too early? I, I don't think so, but like they come pretty early. They're kind of pitching you, but then maybe you could see what they do. Like they come back to you. Don't be afraid question. to go back, right? It's ne- there's, ne- there's no such thing as, as too early if you're just building a relationship. Exactly. And yeah. I can't remember who said this. There's somebody famous that I that I owe credit to this for. Um, but if you want uh, advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice. <laughs> so, so when you come to when you come to somebody like me, yeah, show me what you got and ask me for your ask me for some advice. And yeah. you know that's the beginning of a relationship that may end up result and has many many times uh, resulted in us making an investment and being yeah. In that, you know, once we make an investment in a company, it's a it's about a ten year journey until we until our shares are acquired by somebody. You know, we are we are in that business with the entrepreneur yeah. for the better part of a decade. So it's yeah. uh, it's a serious thing. So you, you the, made a point. I think we got to call out though. There's there's this thing that we say good money and maybe the other kind, right? So what you just described is good money. Like someone that is in it with you, you've operated, you've done this, you went through this process. Like that's a big difference, like taking money, right? So friends and family is a good example. Like 
your buddy exited from something. This is like my story here. He, it was good money. Actually, that's not a good, like your aunt or uncle says, Hey, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Good luck. They can't help you. Like, wh- what are they going to do? You know, they can't really help you, but like, well, we're going to, we're going to be extremely careful about uh, who we invest in. Yeah. And I would, I would tell anybody th- that the entrepreneur and the team should be very careful about who they take investment from just as careful exactly. as we are. Cause it is a, like you said, Peter, it's a two way road. It's incredibly important that you not, um, that the fit be good. You know, yeah. think about any 10 year relation. I mean, most marriages don't last 10 years, right? So yeah. <laughs> we've got to take this relationship seriously and understand that these are going to be people in your lives working with you on something you're passionate about. If you're not feeling it, um, you, you should pick somebody else. And there's going to be yeah. a lot of dark days, right? I mean, I think that's the, yeah. that's the thing. When you really see who your investors are, it's on those dark days where you need, and I've seen both, right? I've experienced both. I've experienced, you know, you and Nasser and Martin and, and you know, at where those dark days hit and the first people I called were you know, those people, right. It were, were, were you guys to say, yeah, hey, I don't know how I'm gonna get myself out of this. Can you guys help me? And immediately you became the backstop, right? That's what you want. You know, yeah. I've also had the others. I've also had the ones where, you know, immediately there's a lot of blame and, you know, shifting yeah. and um, then the day gets, gets darker. <laughs> and the day gets right. And it gets more scary. It's right? not like think, someone saying, Hey, been through it can help you. Like, yeah. Here's some things. Here's an idea. Like it's okay. You're good, man. I think you know, pick you up off the ground. That advice, though, of you know what what Peter mentioned, what you mentioned, Chuck, of of you know if if you're thinking about going down that path of of venture capital, talk to somebody in the space. Right. Talk to talk to there. There are most VCs, at least that I know, and I'm in the business now. And most that I know are willing to have a quick chat to say, tell me about what you're doing and give you and give you an impression. One of the best pieces of advice that I, I think ever got um, back in the really early days of my last company was, and this came from Martin Babinick, was always be raising a round ahead of where you need. And the reason was exactly what you said, Chuck, to, to start to build that relationship, right? To start to tell the story of Hey, I know you're not going to invest in me now. I know we're not the right profile for you, but let me tell you about my business and let me tell you what we're going to go do over the next two, three years. And if it's okay, I'm going to keep you updated on our progress. Right. And I think, and, and that advice served me through round after round after round after round and subsequently an exit to private equity. And I, I think, you know, if I, if I were to kind of give that, you know, give that advice to a founder, that would be, that would be it, right? Is build those relationships and tell the story. Probably puts a nice little star next to your name in, in the proverbial book, right? Cause it's like, uh, someone that's paying attention, you know? Yeah, you can say, I know this person that makes right. a huge difference. Yeah, yeah I would agree with, I would agree with that. And I would also say that, you know, what the three of, one of the things the three of us have in common and, and Martin and Nasser as well, is that um, we've done it. 
Mm-hmm. We've been in the shoes. We've had those dark days. So when somebody calls us up and says, oh, my God, you'd never realize what just happened. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've had that experience 100 times. So I'm going to have compassion and I'm going to have some practical input. Uh, I'm not going to react the way that the you know so-called not so great investor reacts because we, we've, we've had a common experience. Yep. Yeah. I should also That's- put in a plug for um, Michael Quigley, who's uh, joined us in Fund Two as a general partner. Um, if I'm, if if you'll indulge me, just a real quick story. Please, yeah, yeah. Star, Starfast Fund One invested in uh, Michael and his founder in 2013, 2014, and uh, they were just getting started. They went through three dramatic pivots before they found the market that really started to get traction, and the company just grew like a rocket ship. Had a um, recapitalization in 2018 when a private equity firm came in. Um, all of our Startfast Fund One investors got a nice, a nice uh, check at that 2018 checkpoint, mm-hmm. and then we still have a you know an ongoing holding. So there's unrealized gains, but you know the companies continue to grow. They're now called Impel. They are uh, just crushing it in the space of automotive merchandising. And Michael approached Nasser and I in um, 2020 and said that he wanted to pivot his career to venture capital and. You know, what advice did we have? We were just forming fun too. So we said, advice, come join us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to try and, to get him on. So too. once again, you know, the the operator that has built a SaaS company from nothing to huge, yeah. um, it's it's the pattern match. So we're all, you know, yeah. we're all firm believers in the best investor is going to have been an operator and had some failure and some success, but they've had the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Well, that's a that's a great place to probably wrap this up, Chuck. And um, so, before we do, uh, how does somebody reach you? Um, how does somebody learn more about Starfast Ventures? The I know you're raising fund two right now. So, why don't you kind of talk about how somebody gets in touch with you, and if they're interested in either from an LP standpoint or from a from a founder standpoint. Sure. Uh, StartfastVentures.com is a starting point for anybody that's interested. Um, I'm Chuck at StartfastVentures.com. So feel free to email me whether you'd like advice or whether you'd like to invest in a venture fund that uh, with experienced investors or whether you're looking for a venture fund to fund your operation. And uh, we'll take it from there. And guys, this was a lot of fun. I, I, yeah. uh, hope, we'll, I, I hope we'll see I- more of each other. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you the same thing I said before. I don't know if it was before we started that. Every time I like talk to Chuck, I always get excited. Like I could do more. I told him that, and uh, I I feel like that right now. Again, he's <laughs> like uh, I'm like I don't spend enough time with this guy. So I'm definitely coming to the Brewster in the summer. It's COVID. Be damned, right? We're, we got to <laughs> do it. Well, and and on my and you know on on my side, I actually just a real quick story. So when I exited out of my my last company, I also like you're telling talk about Mike Quigley, decided, hey, I'm going to pivot my career to to venture. And um, and Chuck and and Nasser were the first guys that I reached out to and uh, to start to get advice about starting our own firm. Um, and now I think, what are we doing, Chuck? Like I think we've got two. Two transactions we're going to close in the next. We know we're days just today. about to invest together in, right. uh, in two deals. So it's, that's right. Uh, it's really great. 
Yep. No, it's super fun. And you guys, you know, the level of support that these guys put out, whether, you know, for everybody in their, everybody in their orbit is just unbelievable. So uh, I couldn't, uh, couldn't advocate for them more and, uh, and appreciate you coming on the show more, Chuck. And uh, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. And we'll see you uh, next time on the Founders Journey podcast. Thanks, guys.